As Dusty said, 47 years ago, there was a group of people that said, we want to start an independent Christian church. First Sunday, word got out, and instead of the few that thought would be there, 63 people met together. Then on this charter Sunday that we're celebrating today, people stepped forward and um, said, I want to be a part, put my name as a charter member of Community Christian Church. Well, over the years, many things have changed. Location, where we've worshipped, even the ministers have changed. Uh, technology has come on board. Uh, the music has changed. But one thing that hasn't changed is the Word of God has been preached all these 47 years. So reading from Matthew, the 6th chapter, the 25th verse. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not these much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic unto his stature? And why, taking ye thought for raiment, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spend. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not a rain like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into heaven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O you little of faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient to the days is the evil thereof. The reading of the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jerry. What we care about controls us. What did you come in with today on your, on your mind, maybe, that you were worried about? What email are you thinking about? What meeting are you thinking about this week? What appointment? What expense coming up are you thinking about? What post are you thinking about that happened this last week? What problem cropped up in your life? What get together maybe you're a little anxious about? All of us came in today with something. There's something that's likely distracting us right now from being present in worship in this place, and that's worry. Now, right off the bat, I want to make a statement about this thing in our lives called worry. Here's the statement. Here's the first half of the statement. Ordinary worry isn't the problem. Ordinary worry isn't the problem. Every one of us will worry a little bit today, and we probably should, okay? Because God gave us this built-in capacity for anxiety that actually does serve a purpose, namely so we don't die, okay? Ordinary worry helps us identify potential problems and threats and devise solutions before those uh, develop into full-blown crises, okay? And so it's a really good gift that God has given us, and Scripture never talks about 
these kinds of worry as being illegitimate, okay? It's ordinary worry that makes you look both ways before you cross the street, okay? It's ordinary worry that compels you to put uh, tags on your pets so that if they get out of the yard, they can be found. It's ordinary worry that makes you think twice about the second piece of cake because it might pack on a pound or two. Uh, It's ordinary worry that makes you rethink whether or not you should show your dance moves at the reception, okay? And that's good worry. That's for our benefit. But we need a little education on how worry actually works. And there are two ways that this worry gift that we've been given can actually go. Option number one, this is the first way worry can go. We can believe that a danger is present when it's really not present. Here's an example. Uh, this last week we had a big snow you know, day, right? And maybe you looked outside and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, my steps are gonna be covered with ice and so I'm going to stay inside. Now, maybe the reality was that your steps didn't have any ice on them at all and you could have gone out, okay? That's option number one. Option number two is that we can believe a danger is absent when it's really present. It's exactly the opposite. We get the big snow and we think to ourselves, oh, there's snow outside, but I doubt my steps are covered with ice and so I'm going to go out. And the reality is that they are so covered with ice that you need ice climbing equipment to navigate them, right? Uh, But you stroll out anyway, thinking that there's no ice and then you end up in urgent care. That's how that goes, okay? Now, the question is this. Of those two options, which one is better? Thinking there is ice when there is none or thinking there is no ice when there is? There's a simple answer to that, right? If I believe the first one, then I'm fine. But if I believe the second one, then I'm in the hospital in traction. And so we naturally err on the side of caution in order to navigate life the best we can and not die, we prefer in our brains to imagine ice when there is no ice. And that tendency is what's going to push us over the edge to the worry that we're going to talk about today. Here's the second part of the statement. Ordinary worry isn't the problem. Over-worry is the problem. Over-worry. Over-worry is not legitimate worry. Over-worry is not, uh, oh my goodness, did I remember to turn the breaker off when you're rewiring an outlet? That's ordinary worry. Over-worry is different. We could call it worry that has gotten out of bounds because it does not square with reality. It's, It's when we believe that there's ice when there's not really ice And there's nothing that's going to convince us otherwise. And so we develop all kinds of courses of action to mitigate this imaginary reality in our lives. And so the word that Jesus will use in the scripture uh, today in Matthew 6 is marinma. And it means this, self-concern in respect of the future. It is future-oriented thinking that consumes so much of us that it gets in the way of actually living life today. And because of the way our brains work, it actually always leans 
towards negative things. We always will opt to believe that there's ice on the steps, the negative situation, rather than no ice, which would be the positive situation. And that's a, that's a self-preservation measure that we take, that we instinctively take, that's human nature. Um, I can explain it like this. No one has ever had this kind of worry, and I'm pretty sure that you would include yourself in this boat. Oh my goodness, what if I win $100 million and I can buy my own island? What then? Nobody has that worry, right? Nobody worries about the good stuff. It's always focused on negative stuff. And ordinary worry, this gift that we've been given to uh, make sure that we don't kill ourselves, rolls out of bounds and becomes over-worry when it dwells in the future and on some negative event that we can't control. And then we are crippled by those bad things that might happen. And that's over-worry. It's a future-focused negative. Let's put it that way. It is a future-focused negative. And if there's a red flag that will help us identify this kind of worry... It's a little hidden phrase that we always use when we over-worry. And the little phrase is this, what if? What if I get laid off? What if my child flunks the eighth grade? What if I get sick and I can't work? What if a loved one dies? What if my furnace croaks out this winter? What if the garage door opens by itself while I'm asleep? What if I get, get cancer? What if I lose my retirement savings? What if I embarrass myself in, son of, in front of somebody that I really want to impress? Think back past uh, through your last 48 hours or so. Did you have some thoughts that began with, what if, and they were future and they were negative, and over-worry is a negative thought about the future that lingers and it grips us with a debilitating fear. What if worry makes us think about catastrophes that might happen, and it interferes with our relationships? It, it generates obsessive thinking. It continues, even though we realize that we're wasting time with it, and there, there seems to be no end point to our worry. It just kind of drones on and on like ringing in our ears that we can't get rid of. And when we suffer from over-worry, we, we generally know that what we're worrying about is unrealistic. We get that normally it's kind of a crazy thought. And so what we do is we think that something is wrong with us and we try hard not to have these worry thoughts. But the more we struggle against our worries, the more we worry. Are we preaching to anybody yet? Okay. One of the big things that Jesus communicates to us here is that worry is a way of thinking. And we love thoughts. We love especially our own thoughts. Even if they are exaggerated, even if they are untrue, we love them. And not only do we love them, we think that we should be in control of our thoughts. We think that only thoughts that are useful uh, should be in our brains. We should never have any thoughts in there that we don't want, but that's impossible. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head that you didn't want there, right? Here's a proof test. I want you to blank your mind out right now. I want you to take 15 seconds, and I don't want you to think about the first pet you ever had. Go. Don't think about the first pet you ever had. 
How'd you do? How many of you thought more about Fluffy or Spot than you have in years, right? It's because you aren't necessarily in control of your thoughts. And battling over worry, then, is not about suppressing thought. It's not about denying specific thoughts, but it's about how we relate to those thoughts that we maybe can't necessarily control. And so here's a few, here a few truths about over-worry today, and I did not uh, include the word over in your notes. You're just going to have to write that in. I should have, and I didn't, uh, because I want to keep separate this uh, ordinary worry from over-worry. So everything uh, from here on is over-worry, Okay. Number one, the most important piece probably to know is that overworry is a trick. It's a trick. Overworry is characterized by future what ifs, uh, future focused negatives that we realize right off the bat are pretty unrealistic. I mean, the plane has a super small chance of going down, right? Odds are your house really isn't going to burst into flame odds are you're probably not going to get the coronavirus. As soon as I say that, we start worrying. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I can buy that one, okay? But odds are probably not. In fact, um, research shows that 91% of the things that we chronically worry about will never happen. Now that's good news, right? Because it tells you you really don't have all the problems that you think you have. The vast majority of your worries are illusions that will never materialize. Now, the bad part of that is that even though we recognize the absurdity and all the improbability that of those things happening to us in the future, this worry still consumes us, right? Worries are like a red flag to a bull. I want you to put yourself there in the bull uh, fighting arena, and uh, you have a matador at one end, he's waving the red flag, and you have a bull at the other. Uh, the flag, the red flag that that matador is waving is not the threat to the bull, not at all. But it's the attraction to the red flag that stirs something up in the bull, and it leads it to charge. And when it charges, it's not charging into a flag. It's charging into swords and spears of the matador. And that's a good metaphor for our worry. Worry is not really what threat, threatens us. Your worries can't really harm you. They are, they are just thoughts about future events that your brain has come up with that are highly unlikely. It's a trick, okay? It, but that's the bait. And your natural response when that flag comes out and it baits you is to struggle to get rid of your worry. And that's the problem because you charge in just like the bull. I want you to think about that setting. And can you imagine a bull not taking the bait of the red flag? The matador is waving it and maybe some little kid or some other bull comes up to the bull and says, hey, remember your cousin Toro? Remember what happened? He charged the flag when it was waved. And do you remember what he got? He got stabbed in the neck with a sword. It's a trick, man. It's a bait. They're baiting you with the flag. And the best thing you could probably do is just to lay down and to eat some daisies. Don't get suckered by that flag. Now, I think that would be, make a great Disney movie. I think they should work on that. Overcoming chronic worry is like teaching a bull not to charge a red flag. And 
what we want to try to do is lay down and eat some daisies rather than running headlong into our worry. And I think we can train ourselves not to take the bait. We can train ourselves to notice the what if uh, things that our brain manufactures and, and respond differently. You might have worrisome thoughts, but you don't have to charge at them. You don't have to be tricked. And Jesus gives us examples of creations that aren't tricked by the worry like we are. He says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. In other words, birds don't have job descriptions. They don't send out resumes. They don't fund retirement accounts. They don't plant or harvest. And all of those actions, if you analyze them, what are they about? Reaping, sowing. That's about prolonging life, trying to Make sure that life keeps going on, and we are all about that. We want to do everything possible and that we think is necessary so that our future is secure, so that our way of life can keep going on. Verse 28, he says, look at the lilies of the field. The word means all kinds of little flowers out in nature, some of which will never, ever be seen by a human eye. Have you ever thought about that? Why in their world are they there if they will never be enjoyed by a human eye? Maybe it's that God loves them and that's enough. And these flowers, they don't toil or spin. That's what Jesus says. They don't labor or work. They don't punch a clock. They don't turn a wrench. They don't shop or primp or follow influencers on Instagram. They don't... uh, They're not concerned about their outward show. They don't appear to be righteous in others' eyes. They don't fuss in front of a mirror about an outfit. They just are what they are. And Jesus says, look at them. Aren't they glorious? They are. And Jesus points with the pictures, these two pictures, birds and flowers, that what we want in life um, usually boils down to two things. Number one, we want life to go on as long as possible. And number two, we want people to look on us with approval. And so we work and we strive to make those things happen, but a lot of times not everything goes as planned. And when it doesn't, we get concerned that, we, that it never will. And it's like the red flag coming out and, and we begin to be worried and we become anxious about the future and we say, what if, oh my goodness, what if my family abandons me? What if my house burns down? What if I can't retire? What if my coworkers turn on me? What if my children rebel against God? And Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the flowers. They don't charge the red flag when it comes out and you don't have to either. It's a trick Your worry won't prolong your life. It won't make you acceptable and worthy of love. Worry can't change the past and worry can't chart the future. It is useless and it is debilitating. Here's the second thing about worry. All worry does is pull us apart. Actually, that's the word picture behind this text. Worry literally means to be drawn in different directions, like Four people are pulling at you from all sides. That's what worry is. It pulls us apart at the seams, and it never gives us the control that it promises us. Let's use John as our example today. John is a chronic worrier about his health. He has 
lots of thoughts and concerns about the possibility that he might have some disease. And so maybe it's a really serious condition that he's worried about, and so he goes to the doctor. And the doctor does all of the relevant things. He he does blood work and x-rays and CAT scans, all to clarify whether there's uh, an illness that exists. And if one does, then he'll identify it and he'll uh, advise a course of treatment and he'll see it through to success. But here's where it gets tricky for John because he goes to the doctor with a couple goals. Number one, doctor, do I have a disease? And if it's yes, then he needs treatment and he's going to trust the doctor to get him through that treatment. But if it's no, and here's where it's tricky for the chronic worrier named John, then what he wants is 100% confidence that the doctor is correct. And that's the problem. No matter how skilled the doctor is, no matter how healthy John is, he will never get 100% assurance that he wants to have. Nobody can control the future. So the minute that John leaves that doctor's office, he is once again gripped by worry. Oh my goodness. What if the doctor failed to find it? And he charges the red cape that is flying in front of him, right? And he decides to go back to the doctor and explain the situation again. He thinks, what if I left out an important detail? What if the doctor overlooks something the first time? Or what if the lab mislabeled the sample and we read somebody else's blood work and he's still not satisfied after he goes back? And so John goes to other doctors that might have more tests and more opinions. And John gets on Google and he self-diagnoses. And then he starts asking friends and family who aren't doctors, by the way, their opinions. And whatever answer he's given, wherever he looks, That thought is immediately followed by, yeah, but what if? And that's chronic over-worry. And it binds us, it blinds us to reality. It crushes the life that we could be living today. So here's the good news. That in this text, Jesus includes this line, that worry is unnecessary. Why? Because God is in control. God is in control. It is absolutely true that life is uncertain. Even when you get a clear bill of health from the doctor, all it could take is a walk to the parking lot for that to change. That's true. But that uncertainty, here's what Jesus says, need not cause you anxiety. Why? Because God is in control. Look at verse 27. He says, who can add even a minute to your life Who can add to your life? No one except God. And that's not you, okay? Look at verse 30. Look at who can make you righteous and acceptable. Look at who can make you right. There's only one person that can do that, and it's God. It's not you. Now, I've always looked at this text, and when it's come to this part about clothes, I've always thought about my ability to buy shirts and pants and shoes. But I think there's more here than that. Because in scripture, clothes are often a picture for our righteousness. If we want to be right with others and God, um, think about this. Don't we strive towards that even in what we wear, right? We wanna wear the right jeans. We wanna wear the right shoes. We wanna get the right Super Bowl winning t-shirt, right? Okay, why? Because there... Out in our culture right now, there is an idea of what is acceptable to wear and what is not. It's why nobody wears hammer pants anymore, 
They're not acceptable, okay? They're not right. And don't you see that even our clothes are an attempt to be right with other people and an attempt to be right by extension with God himself. But your clothes don't make you right. There's only one person who can make you right, and it's not you. It's God, and he's in control. And so if God is in control and not me, then worry for me is an attempt to wrestle control away from God. And worry, that brings us to over-worry is a failure to trust God. That's what it is at the end of the day. We don't really say, hey, God, I'm gonna have to do this myself because I don't think you, you can. We, we don't really ever say that out loud, and yet we act that way. We see worry as, um, as evidence of our responsibility that we're taking control, but, but really worry just reveals a deep-seated self-reliance, and any kind of self-reliance is an affront to God's kingdom and control. It's really no different than somebody who doesn't even believe in God and what they might say. That's what Jesus says in verse 32. He points to the Gentiles. He says the Gentiles run after all these things, and the Gentiles, what he means by, by that word is those who have no allegiance to God, those who do not believe in God. They say, I've got to cover this because I don't have any God in my life and I'm the only one who cares and I'm the only one who can make a difference. And so when we say that as well, it's a serious denial of God in our lives. It's a failure to believe and trust God and worry sends us there. Worry is our attempt to make things better, but we make things worse by trying to make them better. And it's a counterintuitive problem that we have. And a counterintuitive problem demands a counterintuitive solution. I think that's what Jesus gives us here. His prescription to us is going to be do the opposite. Do the opposite of what you've been doing. Now, that's not a crazy idea. And if I just throw out some other situations, you'll agree that it works. If I take my dog out walking and she gets off her leash somehow, one option I have is to start to chase her. But if I chase my dog, what will happen? She'll run away, right? But what if I'm the one who runs away from my dog? Oh, then I have a chance that she starts chasing me, right? Here's another one. Fight fire with fire. One of the ways to stop an out-of-control forest fire is actually to use fire to burn away a swath of ground in the path of the fire. And when the out-of-fire, uh, out-of-control fire gets to that place, it has nothing to burn and it is extinguished. You fight fire with fire. It's a counterintuitive solution. Here's one more. Uh, Lightning McQueen <laughs> is trying to turn on a dirt track when he's used to asphalt. And he does what is intuitive. He turns left so that he can go left, but he ends up over a cliff because he's on a dirt track. And Doc Hudson comes in and he says, son, you've got to turn right to go left. And so the next time around, despite what everything in him tells him to do, in the middle of the turn, he starts turning to the right and he finds himself drifting and he finds himself going left. It's totally counterintuitive. And what about worry? When we get to worry, the way we battle worry is to try to stop thinking about it. Just stop thinking about it. And that's the worst thing that we could do. We'll go over the cliff if we do that. 
Anytime you deliberately try to stop thinking of something, you are likely to think of it more. Research shows that if we try to suppress our thoughts, then we just think more about the thoughts that we are trying to suppress. And if our intuitive efforts about worry lead to disaster, then maybe the answer lies in a counterintuitive one. What if we do the exact opposite of what we should do? What if we turn right to go left? And I think that's what Jesus is telling us to do, to do the opposite. He says two things that will change our relationship to worry so that we can lay down and eat daisies and not charge the red flag. Number one, seek God's kingdom, not your own kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the implication is that we haven't tried that yet, that we are going after our own kingdom. And that's why we over-worry. What we've tried to seek is what's good for us. And so now the opposite is what we should do. Put his kingdom first instead of our own. It is to humble yourself. It is to say something like this. God, I don't know about all of these things, all of these thoughts that I've been flooded with, but I know this. I know you care for me even more than birds and even more than flowers, and you seem to care amazingly without limit for them. And it doesn't look like things are going right here. And I'm really worried about how things might turn out, but I know you know what's best. Would you help me trust you and trust your will and trust the kingdom that you're trying to build? Now, how does that help? It helps, seeking first helps worry because God's kingdom is the only kingdom that will last. That's what your worry is trying to accomplish. It's trying to accomplish more and lasting life, but only God can give you that. God's kingdom is the only one that will make you right, and that's why you're worrying, because you want to appear lovable to other people. Only God can make you lovable, and God's kingdom is the only one that ends the way everyone wants. God's kingdom is the only one where the wrongs are righted, the suffering is turned to good, and all the tears are wiped away. Your worry will never do that. Here's the second part of the prescription. Seek first his kingdom. Number two, cast your cares because God will take your worry from you. And it's an exercise in the rule of opposites. We've tried to suppress our worries, get rid of them, not think about them anymore, but now we're going to embrace them. There's a couple of parallel passages that I need to throw at you. First Peter 5, 7 says this, cast your cares, your anxiety on him because he cares you. And this word cast means to center, to center your ideas. One more, Philippians 4, 6. This is actually our verse of the week this week. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but by, uh, by prayer in everything, present your requests and let them be known to God. In other words, pray about what you're worried about. Talk about what you're worried about. Discuss 
what you're worried about with God. Don't try to get rid of it. Talk about it with God. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus ends with these words, don't be anxious. And what all of those texts are asking us to do is to put our worry right in the center of our thought. Cast means that we highlight our worry in our prayers, that we frame our worry with God's love and care and concern for us. And in so doing, we throw it on him and his back and we expose our worry for the trick that it is because we're reminding ourselves of who's really in control and whose kingdom will really matter in the end. And so we think about God's wisdom and his love and his care and his control. We think about how we're not taking his control and his kingdom seriously. We're letting this worry have the control. And how dare I question God's care when he's done so much for me. He tore his son to shreds for me. And so I can trust him to give me whatever I need because he's the only one that knows what I really need. And with all of that kind of dialogue, we throw our worry on God's back. And here's the irony. Turning right to go left will actually work. Highlighting your cares in the midst of God's care will make all of your worries about tomorrow wither away and all of the things of today will have their proper place and attention because God will take care of them. I'm going to call the band up and um, we're going to sing a hymn to end today that was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford and his wife and four children were coming back to him from across the Atlantic on an ocean liner. And that ocean liner that they were on actually hit an iceberg and it began to sink. And the wife got her four children around her and they sat down and they began to pray and they were a Christian family. And so they prayed that God would protect them. But unfortunately, the ship went down and all of the children, four children, were drowned. But the wife was not. And she was picked up unconscious. She was floating on a piece of the ship. She was taken to New York City. And in Chicago, Horatio received word that the ship sank. And then he, he got a telegram from his wife. And all the telegram said was this, saved alone. When they finally got together and reunited, they sat down as husband and wife and as Christians as, and as believers and they processed through this as people who were trying to seek first and people who were trying to cast their cares on God. And what Horatio learned, he wrote into this song that you know. The chorus of the hymn is, it is well with my soul. It starts out, when peace, like a river, attendeth my way. And I think when you realize that story, the third verse should be utterly astounding to you. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Whatever you worry about, it is only a hint of the underlying problem. Your real problem in life is sin. But in Jesus, sin is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Do not be anxious. Think of what Jesus has done. Your real problem 
the only one you should be worried about in the first place is gone. And so your practice this week is to become careless in the care of God to become careless in the care of God. It doesn't mean to be reckless or apathetic. It just means to cast your cares on the one who cares. And does that mean everything's gonna come up roses? Absolutely not. Jesus, the very one who gave us these pictures, is the one who said, don't worry about the future. In the future, in his future, there was scourging. There was beating. There was mocking. He was sent to a Roman cross with real nails and ripped flesh and lots of blood. And suffering, if we have that kind of savior, is inevitable for us. But just as inevitable is the victory that comes out of that suffering. We're not promised an easy life, but we are promised a loving, caring Father who controls every aspect of the future and who only wants our good. So our prayer together today is going to be this song. It will be the lines of this song. And as we sing, I want you to remind yourself that because of Jesus' conquering of evil and death, whatever it is you're worrying about, it will be well. Would you stand and let's sing.